Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. Evan, you're in some kind of state today where your uh, your usual water glass on the table is uh, blue Kool-Aid. It is. New sponsorship. <laughs> you know, yeah, we're not that big time yet. Kool-Aid, if anyone... No. Gatorade Los Angeles came to us. Oh yeah, it is Gatorade too. This is see, this is why they don't sponsor us. <laughs> we mix it up. We like to give a, a little freebie bag to the companies. Evan, you're uh, you're recovering from whatever you did this weekend. Yes, I was at a wedding last night, and oh, um, he sounds terrible. <laughs> I actually woke up feeling great, and I feel like I've slowly gotten worse as time has passed. It's just aging, buddy. I, I, I'm old enough to know that when you wake up and feel great, then morning after drinking, it's a it's an awful sign. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the rest of your day is going to be very bad. Water, food, Advil, right back to sleep. Oh no, no, you might as well get over with. There's no saving it because it's one of those mornings where you wake up. You open one eye, you don't notice the headache or the upset stomach, and you know as soon as you stand up, you're still hammered. Well, we're here. Uh, we're here for you, buddy. You're in our thoughts, but I I'll got, be okay. You don't sound like it. No, I don't. <laughs> All right, folks. Um, speaking of kind of wild nights, Friday. Holy! When those notifications came through, Kachuk's going where? <laughs> for what? When I tell you, I. Like triple, quadruple check the account to make sure that I wasn't being duped because it sounded it was so insane that if it was one of those people who was pretending to be Elliot Friedman or whoever, where you're like, that was such an obvious fake trade. Shame on you for not doing a better job of trying to dupe people. But yeah, that was that was insane. That was NBA stuff. Oh, we've been begging forever for the NHL to get a little bit more NBA style to their off seasons. Here we go. And uh, it was just as. Good as I was hoping it would be. Well, we'll get into all that, uh, but for now, welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast, here to talk to you about all things Detroit Red Wings, uh, NHL and the world of hockey. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. (laughs) 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 I watched you muster up the energy I'm good, though. (laughs) Sure. Uh, On this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, we are joined by Max Boltman of The Athletic Detroit to talk all things uh, Red Wings offseason. It's been a while since we've had a chat with Max. Um, He's feeling better now, and so much has happened. We've all just kind of been sprinting. Uh, So it's good to kind of recap with him. We're going to talk about the Red Wings drafting, their draft class, Marco Casper. Uh, We'll talk about um, everything to do with free agency and uh, outlook for next season and it's it's a fun conversation so we think you'll enjoy that interview and then on the other side of that we will be talking about the kachuk trade as well as uh, some other nhl news before heading into overtime Uh, before that uh, of course we always want to point out that this episode uh, is proud to support the jamie daniels foundation Uh, it was the jamie daniels foundation is a children's foundation initiative which was established in memory of jamie daniels and founded by jamie's father and red wings lead announcer ken daniels and jamie's mother lisa daniels goldman they strive to end the stigma of substance use disorder and provide support to those struggling with the disease or who are in recovery to learn more and offer your support visit jamiedanielsfoundation.org you guys like my shirt? Who's that? <laughs> Watch it. It's my uh, retro Brendan Shanahan shirt, courtesy of Everett. It was an engagement gift from him. It's very nice. 
Uh, the thing about shirts, like retro cotton shirts, it's like they made it with all the cotton they had in the factory. So <laughs> oh, I, am, I am absolutely dying. In this. <laughs> My internal temperature is rising rapidly. Uh, while it does that, why don't we jump straight into this interview with Max Boltman? Uh, again, really, really fun conversation where we recap all of the mayhem uh, of the offseason just in the Red Wings sphere alone. So without further ado, enjoy that conversation. Max Boltman. Hey. Can't stay away from us for too long, man. Hate to no. bring it to you. No, that's all good. I'm, I'm happy to be here. How's it going? How are you feeling? Good. I I had uh, I guess I don't know if I've told people. I, I had COVID during dev camp, so I had to miss uh, all of that. So, But I'm good. <laughs> you wouldn't know it. You did a really good job of uh, still covering everything that was happening with the Red Wings and across the league. So good for you. Not dev camp. I don't think I wrote anything. Yeah, <laughs> I did. It was lucky for me that it was the same time as free agency, or else I think people probably would have been pretty mad at me. So, yeah, the content crossover was like three layered at that time. So I think you were safe. Yeah, it was convenient in that way. Uh, folks, for those of you uh, who don't know, this is Max Boltman, our good friend from the Athletic Detroit. Uh, Max, welcome back to the show. Uh, now that things have settled a little bit, we just finished up the draft free agency development camp. And we have not actually had an opportunity to talk about any of it. So we got a full, uh, full docket today. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. It's been, uh, it, it feels like it's been a way more NBA like off season in the NHL this year, you know, yeah. uh, up to and including multiple superstars getting traded for each other at midnight a couple days ago. Watching the chat unfold as we all slowly figured out a that Kachuk got traded to Florida and b what the return was was hysterical to see. I know it was wild. Allison and I were out for a walk, and we were we were I, I looked at like our chat and it was like you and Prashanth were just like what is going on and I was like oh some they're they're getting duped by some fake you know Friedman account and I I looked again I was like nope that is the real one that is wild. No, I triple checked. And uh, Prashanth and I both, I think, were a few whiskeys deep. So I was very sure to to triple check that one. Why don't Wild we, stuff. We'll, we'll get to the crazy free agency and NBA like offseason. But why don't we jump back to the NHL draft? Uh, we haven't had a chance to talk since the Red Wings made their eighth overall pick of Marco Casper, which I think you deserve to take a victory lap on. Um, and then their ensuing picks afterwards. So let's open with Marco Casper. You were one of the first to mock him to the Detroit Red Wings at eighth overall, so congratulations. Well, I don't know that I actually was the first because when the mock, the first mock we do was our staff mock, and I had every intention of mocking him to Detroit in that. And then the way it played out, Gautier was still on the board, and obviously he ended up going fifth. But he was still there, and I don't know whether the Red Wings would have taken him or not, but I felt like at that point, like, I should at least mock him there. So, I think Corey actually was the first one to put it in a mock draft, Pronman. Uh, not that Corey needs to be any more correct, because he basically already nailed the chaos of the draft. Um, I I was on Casper early, but I don't know that I can actually take that credit, because I think that my first mock, I still put Gautier, even though I fully went into it expecting to mock Casper, just the way that the board fell in that first one. Corey's legs have to hurt after all the victory laps that he's deservedly took. After he, that he hasn't taken one. I, keep, I want him to take one. I'm going to start taking some on his behalf, but <laughs> man... All right, well, let's talk about the pick for Detroit. You know, it was off-discussed beforehand, but 
the Red Wings drafted what is presumably one of their answers to they need another top six center with Dylan Larkin uh, problem. So who did the Red Wings get in Marco Casper? And what are your expectations for him in the near and medium future, let's say? I think they got a Steve Eiserman player made in a lab, basically. Like it, it is a, a speedy, competitive, efficient center. Um, I wish I could have seen him at dev camp. I only saw him do the skating tests on the first day before I tested positive. Uh, but even just watching like the YouTube stream of the three on three, I thought right away you saw a little bit what the Red Wings were saying when they, when they talked about someone who they felt like had underrated offense. And, you know, as much as like I was someone who I did feel like he was, uh, a reasonable value pick, the, the pick that I would have made in that spot. Um, I still have and had questions about like, what is the ultimate, ultimate offensive ceiling? And I think part of that has already been kind of, you're already kind of seeing, Hey, this is a guy who has good hands. This is a guy who can make plays. I heard Danielle Bruce on the last episode talking about the vision and the playmaking. Like those are all things that if you continue to see them, um, you're going to all of a sudden be really, really excited about what this could be. And, you know, I, I know everyone wants to compare every pick to Moritz Sider. Um, but it, it, there is a little bit of like, Remember Sider's first dev camp, like he showed up and I was like, oh, this guy moves really well for like a 6'3 guy. And then it, it, maybe if there can be a little more of this, he can be really good. And I don't, I don't think anyone, every pick is going to turn out the way Mo Sider did, but um, there's enough rhyme to, you know, the same questions and the same kind of like, maybe like first impression that, that I think it's fair for people to get excited about not a Mo Sider level transformation, but, but still another player that I think just checks so many boxes and is going to be a really good NHL player. Um, is he going to be a, what level center we'll see? I really firmly believe he's going to be at least a number two center. Um, you know, obviously I, I know you guys have talked about it before, like worst case scenario, a three, I think that is accurate and fair. Um, but I feel like he's going to be able to be playing the top six and, and uh, it's it's just a big piece, right? Like we've talked so much about how important it is to have that other center, and we'll see where, where, what kind of offense develops. But I, I think he's a really good player. And at the risk of uh, getting too far ahead of ourselves here, is it an even bigger advantage because it looks like Marco Casper has a lot of the tools to be NHL ready sooner than his peers in his draft class? Because it, you know, I don't think it's insane in my personal opinion to say that he might just be one more pro year away in Rogla from challenging for the NHL. I agree with you. And, 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 and like Anton Lindell, I think would be like a, a similar kind of timeline to that, right? Like Lindell took one more year over there and then comes over and he's pretty good. And, uh, Lindell's a guy who you were really high on. Um, I know in his draft year and I was a little more skeptical of, um, and right away you're very clearly right. Like that's a, that's a player that's at least a number two C, um, and I, I could see Casper taking a similar trajectory and, and similar questions, honestly, even like it, it was with Lindell. What, how much offense is there going to be? And I think you could still ask how much, but I think pretty much, I'm pretty much sold that there's at least enough to be a number two C and maybe more. Uh, so uh, that's maybe the kind of caliber comp I would maybe kind of try to put, I think. We've, uh, we've talked a lot on and off the podcast about the strength of the Red Wings European scouting team. Uh, and before, you know, the weakness of the North American scouting team or the fact that they needed to catch up, does the proficiency of the European scouting team under Hakan Anderson and the development group they have over there as well, actually, does that lend, in your opinion, a hand into who they draft with these higher impact picks? Like eighth overall is a big one to spend and, and, if you're looking for your team to find inefficiencies, like they're hoping they did a market inefficiency in drafting Casper, does that make a big difference in your mind? 
It's a good question. I don't know. And I also, I'm a little skeptical that the U.S. scouting has actually been demonstrably behind under, under Iserman. Like it, it has been the case that the, all the first round picks are out of Europe. So like, but if you take out all the first round picks, okay. Yes. Johansson, Soderblom, uh, Vero. Uh, I'm trying to think like who like the big success stories in those later rounds have been who help me out here. Wallander is turning out to be pretty, pretty good. good. Tomisto is on the other side of that scale so yep. far. Niederbach, I think, probably looks like a par value at that spot, right? Yeah. I would say Wallander par value at that spot. It was the first pick of the second round. Like, yeah. Uh, and then you look at, at the USA, and I think Mazer is a third round pick, Sabrango as a third round pick. Uh, I, I think Booyam, you know, par value, like similar thing there, right? Like, I, th- I kind of think it's closer than people maybe give it credit for. I'm trying to think of all of them off the top of my head here. I put this in a mailbag recently, but you could almost like divide it up into two teams of like, would you take the Euro mid rounders outside the first round or the North American? And I think it really is closer than, than maybe we give it credit for. It's just the fact that the first rounders have all been out of Europe and all look elite. Right. And, and I do get that. Like if you go back to, 18, 17, 16, 15, those are all picks out of North America that did not turn out the way that the Red Wings wanted. But that's under a different management team. I know there's some of the scouts that are still the same, but I I kind of think it's closer than people give it credit for. I, I Not in the way that I'm saying like the U.S. scouting has been like a revelation, but I think it's just like the, it's really close. And then the elite top 10 picks, like they should be way better. And much and to your point here, much like you know, when a GM gets a GM of the year award, that's a lagging indicator, right? So yes, Eisenman's been in for a while, and so it's going to take some time for the results from the North American scouting team versus you know the European or abroad that team to to show up and start to balance. So that's that's probably a really good point you just made. Like we're seeing those success stories come out of the North American scouting group. I mean, a way too early call here. Like I'm not putting this in stone or even ink, but Amadeus Lombardi just as another one yep. right there. So um, it might be more even than we've given it credit for in the past. It's it's probably just a matter of waiting. Yeah, like you could say Hannes or Niederbach. Like who's? Be- I think it's probably close. I'd probably lean Niederbach. I'd lean Niederbach there. But those are both like two late second round picks. I think probably close, right? You could do Booyam versus Wallinder. I would take Booyam. You could do Vero versus Sabrango. I think it's close. I would probably lean Sabrango, you know, Mazer and uh, I don't know who the comp is there because he's a fourth rounder. Like, you know, Johansson, I think, is probably the best of all of these guys, like the best, like second and beyond pick. You're Dower, making and Naser versus Dower Nielsen. I, I think I'd go Mazer there, but I like Dower Nielsen. So, yeah. Um, but I don't know. Like, I just think it, there's interesting conversations you can have. Oh, that, that sounds like the makings of a uh, future offseason episode where we really break it down and, and debate it. Ooh, I'm bring, in. Let's bring Prashant in for that one too. Yeah. Bribe him with whiskey. So let's just chat a little bit about the rest of the Red Wings draft class. Um, we were laughing that this is kind of a prototypical Red Wings draft class where 40th overall was a pick that a lot of people you know, were surprised by, but they shouldn't be surprised at this point based on how the Red Wings have demonstrated that their boards work and just the reality of how NHL teams' boards work. Totally. Uh, Dylan James and Dmitry Pashelnikov, two wildly different picks in a lot of ways. Uh, talk to us about uh, your thoughts on those picks in the second round for Detroit. 
Yeah, I, I think the the James one is kind of the one that you immediately chalk up. Okay, this is a Steve Eiserman, Chris Draper, you know, central casting guy. Um, but I also think Buchelnikov, like, I, I don't, I don't, I think that maybe we're sometimes too rigid in saying like what that guy looks like. Because every year they do take a guy who seems to kind of, you know, cross Hannes, I don't think. You know, he, he's a super skill, like offensive instinct player. And that to me is more like what Buchelnikov is kind of same with Niederbach. Um, they seem to take one of these guys every year. And, and he seems to be that guy this, this year. And I, I didn't know anything about him when they picked him. And I immediately pulled out my phone and started looking up video on him and seeing what I could find. And, uh, pretty quickly it was clear, like this kid has a lot going for him. And I, I wonder, you know, he's a, he's an early, birthday how does that how do you phrase that he's a he's an early september birthday so uh he if he had been like two weeks older i think he's eligible for this year's draft as a first year the 22 draft as a first year instead he's an overager and i think that takes him off the radar in a lot of ways i wonder if he was two weeks older and he had been a first year eligible for this draft if there wouldn't have been considerably more buzz and momentum around him because you see what he can do with the puck and the instincts that he has. And it really pops in a way that you're like, how did I not know about this guy at least? Yeah. And he, he didn't get any pro reps in Russia. Like he didn't come up to the KHL at all, which Barry yeah, he's in well. ska. He's yeah. in ska organization. Yeah. So that was a really intriguing pick. Same thing for me. It's, you know, you've seen, I've saw his name a couple of times, but not really in the second round. Um, but of all drafts, this is the one where you just kind of throw away past pick 15 you just never really know what's going to happen yeah and then and then james i think you got uh you know just just kind of your quintus i expect would, would be kind of a down lineup but but you want to be an effective down lineup guy and is it i think mazer ended up having way more skill than i expected uh in his first year and, and that is what separated him um but maybe maybe we're going to see a similar transformation in dylan james like you know north dakota's a heck of a development program there and as is denver and so uh honestly even just knowing that those coaches want these guys, I think has to give you a little bit of um, excitement for what the potential is uh, there because those coaches obviously know what they're doing. So Anton Johansson, Amadeus Lombardi, Maximilian Kilpinen, Tanias Mathurin, Owen Mellenbacher, and Brennan Ali. Any thoughts on uh, the remainder of that draft class? Any of those guys stand out to you or, or as you know, as far as the Red Wings draft, is there anything interesting in there? For me, it was obviously Lombardi. I saw the same three-on-three stuff that you guys all did. And I mean, there was a lot of speed, a lot of skill there. And and this is a guy who I, I think Brad might have said it on a recent episode. Like, you just wonder, you know, th- this guy didn't play at all last year. Like, could he be kind of one of these kids that, that everybody's talked about who got maybe lost in Ontario and, and in the scouting sense? Uh, he becomes an overager and, you know, maybe you get lost in the weeds a little bit. But you come out of it and this, what, what I saw was a kid who could play. Like th- this is a kid who, you know, finished on breakaways, skated hard. You could try the skill. I scored a Michigan, right? Like, um, it, and you know, you presume if, if, uh, this management team's drafting him, uh, that they see the elements that, that can make for a well-rounded player. He's on the smaller side, but is a fourth round pick. And I, I thought he was the guy who probably comes out of that development camp, uh, stock up the highest for me. Um, Brennan Ali, I think, is a guy who you look at the physical tools and are really impressed with. And I think it just comes down to, you know, will he find the offense to that you need to complement it rather than just kind of be, you know, meat potatoes. But um, heck of an athlete, no doubt about that. 
And uh, last question here about the draft before we jump into the million other things that happened. The first seven picks unfolded in kind of an insane way, hmm. settling back into almost an expected uh, eighth pick or around there. But with the drama that happened, especially with the first four picks, aside from the fact that Corey was right about them almost to the T, uh, what was your reaction as that kind of uh, walked out? Well, I co-host the podcast with Corey, so it happened exactly as he told me it would. And so I was just kind of sitting there enjoying that. Uh, you know, the, the chaos in the Bell Center was, was really something. Um, you know, the, the, the wrinkle that gets thrown in is the Blackhawks trading into seven, two. And, and, you know, is Marco Casper even a Red Wing today if the Ottawa Senators are on the clock at seven? I honestly, I really wonder. Like, I, I wonder if Otto doesn't just pick him. Um, so the Blackhawks trading in that, that changes things a little bit, but you know, like I, I had a lot of thoughts coming out of it. Like one of the big ones was just, I think this is so good for Shane Wright and for Seattle, like future wise, I'm sure it can't have been fun for Shane Wright after hearing that he was going to be the first pick for years, um, to then wait till number four to hear his name called, but he's now going to go to a market in Seattle where they're starting from scratch. He's going to go into a situation where he and Maddie Beniers are going to share this, load and and what a beautiful thing for seattle to start off with two top two pick centers like i'm pretty sure detroit fans have been begging for a top two pick center for like five years my entire time on the beat and seattle it is their first two drafts they come out of that with <laughs> with that so uh great situation for them uh they you know they didn't win the lottery but you know hey they may, they may get a guy who they could have taken had they won one of those two lottery spots so um, i that was definitely a big thought for me i thought nemitz going two was interesting um, you know, that was one of the few things Corey had Juracek there, but he was on it right that it was going to be a right shot D. Um, if Slavkovsky went one and, you know, I, I get it. Uh, and, and we'll see how that plays out, but I really like Juracek too. And so like, I, I think that's, those are kind of those classic debates that you, that you follow, you know, uh, you know, Sanderson versus Drysdale could be one of those cider versus, you know, Zegris and cousins and, and you, you, the draft forces teams to make decisions and, and the fun part for the rest of us who don't make those decisions, we get to follow them and and see uh, which decision was right for the rest of rest of time. And I think this draft was fertile with them, especially in that top ten. It's funny what you mentioned about Shane Wright because there's those video clips of him, and I think it was his dad sitting in the in the stands, and mm. he would turn to his dad and say like That hurts," because he assumed it would be Arizona. Uh, and then when they took Cooley over him, I think that was the first time where he really saw like, "Oh, it's not just positional here. They took a different center over me." So. The way I think about it is if he actually has, you know, the attitude problem, maybe that has been rumored or teams didn't really like the way he interviewed, what a way to invigorate a fire behind, you know, a young, extremely talented player. Like Seattle's getting a motivated Shane right now. Well, I'll tell you what, I've interviewed Shane Wright and I was really impressed by him. So I I can't speak for NHL teams, but I thought he was a kid who was extremely polished and seemed like, you know, future going to wear a letter in the NHL kind of kid. So I can't speak for the NHL teams there, but I think Seattle comes out of this as one of the big winners of the draft. Yeah, you'd have to agree. All right, uh, let's jump over to free agency. Well, actually, something that that took place uh, before free agency and before day two of the draft even started, and this is while uh, we had a nationwide cellular and internet outage, so (laughs) catch up on delay. But the Red Wings traded a third round pick for the rights to Vili Husso and immediately signed him to a three-year $4.75 million uh, per year contract, solidifying a Husso-Nadelkovich kind of 1A, 1B 
ideally uh, situation. What do you make of that move of Heisman going out and uh, basically paying the advance fee to kind of get his guy and lock that down? Well, when you look at it in hindsight, it, it's really the first signal of how aggressive they were going to be, right? They, they, they were dead set on improving. They were not going to leave it to chance. Um, and when you look at how the goalie market played out, I think it was very clearly the right call. Like, I don't know that you're getting Billy Huso at that number if you wait for the market to open. That's if someone else doesn't do exactly what they ended up doing. Like, I, I kind of bet Toronto wishes they had done something like what Detroit did on that day. Um, and, and come out of that with Billy Huso, who Detroit pays, you know, only one more year than they're given to Matt Murray. Um, it's same, same dollar. Like I, I bet Toronto wishes they had done that. So, um, yeah, I, I like that move. I like that tandem. Um, you know, I, I also, I really like Alex Nedeljkovic. So I, I really wonder how this shakes out. Like he's a guy who for the first three months of last year, you know, the second half made it easy to forget, but this was a guy we were talking about as, is this a potential top 10 goalie in the NHL? Um, it did not play out that way through the second half of last year. And I don't think you could say that, that he is that, um, obviously today. Um, but I still saw the, the kind of athleticism talent. He's just a gamer. He was stealing games for the Red Wings, like fairly frequently in the first half. And I will be very curious to see how he comes back. Um, you know, now that he's been, uh, in Top Gun Maverick, uh, light, uh, flying the Blue Angels, you know, staring death in the face, uh, I think he comes back and has a really big year. You know, it's, it's funny because obviously the, the lows were low, so people do forget, but it's got to be so jarring. He's still a relatively young goalie, especially in terms of the amount of reps he's gotten at the NHL level. And he went from Carolina, which has to be the most goalie friendly oh, system absolutely. in the league. No doubt to the Red Wings last year where if it wasn't Cider, good luck in front of you. And they wore him down. I mean, they, they played yeah. him so much. They took him out of games and threw him back in. And like, I think that was probably the most, you know, I, I've defended Jeff Blaschel a lot and, and I still, you know, maintain that, that he's a better coach than he got credit for a lot around here. But that was the decision that I never really could understand was pulling guys and then putting them back in like that was always kind of weird to me. I, I had never really seen that done. And the Red Wings did it a few times. And, at some point, when you look at kind of how shaken Nadelkovich and, and Grace felt, like I just do, I do wonder: did they get used too much? Did they did they get so shook by the way the team was floundering and then their own kind of helplessness that that they got the yips or whatever it might have been? So, um, yeah, I, I think that, that what you saw from Nadelkovich and how close it still was to what he was in Carolina, even behind that defense. I think that can give you hope that there's still like a 915 or better goalie in there, which is a really dang good goalie. And especially considering it looks like by all rights, uh, Sebastian Kosa remains extremely talented, but has a lot of refinement to do in his game. Yeah. So they, they essentially, in my mind, aside from making the team better, they bought him a lot of comfortable time to develop. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think Huso goes with that as well, you know. Um, obviously Nadelkovich only has one year left. So I, I almost wonder like, do the Red Wings extend him to not let him, especially now that we see how scarce goalies are, like, do you just extend him, try to extend him now? Um, and you know, is Kosa even going to be ready for the NHL by the end of Billy Huso's contract, which is three years. I don't know that you could say definitively yes at this point, uh, based on what we've seen so far. And, and obviously, like you said, an immensely talented goalie. But if you told me, you know, yes or no, he will be in the NHL, uh, to start the season three seasons from now or like two seasons. So two more seasons. And then is he in, I, I honestly would lean no. So uh, I think you could totally get away with that. 
Well, we talked a little bit about the Red Wings defense not being able, uh, not being easy to play behind last season. And that is probably the foremost thing that Eisenman targeted this year. Uh, signing Ben Sherratt to a four year, $4.75 million per year contract, bringing in Oli Mata as well for one year on the cheap on the left side. And then, uh, there's the Mark Pesic, uh, Pesic contract as well. Ben Sherratt was the contract that people had the most question marks about just because of the term. But I think. For me personally, I've really come around on it because of how valuable it is to just have a guy who can shut it down and make it tough to play against your team. What do you make about Eisman's revamp of the blue line in those signings? Yeah, it's the question of coming out of this free agency period for me. And Shana Goldman and I did an article around this um, last week for The Athletic. And, you know, I think the, the interesting thing is we, we tried to do it two different ways. We tried to do it, you know, based on reputations, eye tests, all these players, what do they bring? And we, when we tried to do a little bit via the numbers and, um, what I was the most interested in, I think everyone knows that analytics don't really like Ben Sherratt, um, in the value stats. What I couldn't figure out is like, why are Ben Sherratt's, why is his goal save, uh, game score value, uh, added so negative when two of his last three seasons, when he was paired next to Shea Weber in Montreal, he's pulling in expected goals rates of like 52%. And I know relative to teammate, um, those are still slight negatives and, and all that stuff. And like, but to me, I, I looked at all these numbers and I just thought, I don't see how this adds up to as negative as the numbers give. Like last year in Florida, it was bad. Last year in Montreal, it was bad. Everything was bad last year in Montreal and everything relative to teammates in Florida would be hard to live up to. But he also wasn't playing with, um, Aaron Ekblad, he was playing with Mackenzie Wegar, who's a really good player in the regular season, which is where, you know, most analytic stats drive from the regular season. And, um, you know, I'm not saying that I looked at the playoffs, the playoffs weren't like worlds better or anything like that, but I still look at this and say, this is a guy who turned in a 52% expected goal share when he was next to Shea Weber. Uh, I think he can do the same thing next to Moritz Sider. Why can't he? Like, I, you know, I, I think if you look at Shea Weber, that's not a, terrible comp for the kind of player Mo Sider can be. And, and Aaron Eckblad is another one. So um, to me, I think you put him next to Sider and you can be actually pretty confident that like, you know, I'm not saying by year three, year four of this deal, you're not getting a little itchy about, you know, the money and the age and the term remaining. I think he can still really help the team in a couple of important areas, which is clearing the net and going and, and winning pucks behind the net fending off tough four checkers. I think the Red Wings got creamed by opposing four checks uh, through, through the middle and late last season. And that's not going to happen to Ben Sherratt. So I like the signing. I, I was, I'm warmer on it now than I was the day it was signed after doing all this. Yeah. I mean, we talked about that a lot last year. You were always, you know, telling us like watch this clip look how detroit gets dominated below the red line yeah. they just absolutely cannot win a puck battle they never have control think of how many times i'm thinking of the arizona game where people just waltz down the middle unchallenged either the the late the last forward or whatever defenseman was supposed to be in front they just let him go so yeah you add the balance of everything you just mentioned max and then you also consider all of the other moves eisenman made eisenman moved in a pretty firm direction here where you can't fence it so you have to make your team better at all on all sides and yep. to me if you're paying for uh, the price you're paying is a little bit of itchiness in years three and four because of the term and the age, I think the money's fine, like completely fine. Uh, Especially like if the cap goes up. Yeah. It's, you know, f to me, it's like you could, you divide. Here's like a, one way I think about the cap. This might be stupid, but you divide the cap by 
23. That's your roster, right? So it's 82 million, 82.5 million divided by 23, uh, which my computer tells me is about $3.58 million. So that's like, you can give that to every player. And then every player that you go over that by a million, you got to go under it by a million. So really all you did is you went over that by a million with Sherat and you got to come under it by a million with somebody else. And that's easily handled. P.U. Suter already accomplishes that. Like you, you have the difference there. So Pew Suter and Sherat, you know, you're paying two average players to be two average, you know, an average player salary wise. So to me, when I think about it that way, it, it works for stars too. Every guy you're going to pay effectively double that, you know, six and a half million dollars, seven million dollars, you need an ELC or whatever, right? Uh, if you want to pay a guy $10 million, you need like three guys on ELCs. And that's where you get a roster like Toronto. Um, but Ben Shot Charat does not create a roster like Toronto's or, or a cap situation like Toronto's unless you have three or four $10 million players. And even by the end, by, maybe by the very end of this deal, the Red Wings could have that. Um, but not in the first couple of seasons for sure. Yeah. So the new metric that was just created was the Boltman balance score for, <laughs> for cap. And if you look at the Red Wings Trademark. defense, yeah. Uh, I get a 10% commission on that. Yeah. Ben Sherratt and Philip Ronick are the only people above that number on the defense. Yeah. So right. it's already covered there. Talking about the Red Wings getting better overall um, and getting away from the defense here, obviously they they solved the center problem long-term, hopefully with Marco Casper. But in the short term, I mean, medium and long, depending on how you want to look at it, they just locked up Andrew Kopp for what is – really at market value or some might say under yep. market value how impactful is the andrew cop signing for the red wings well yeah and and the to me the where i think it's at market value but they managed to get him for two years less at the same number than vincent trocek while cop is a year younger like that is the value to me there i know it's the most term Iserman's given out i think that's really notable but i think it's even more notable that they were able to get it at only five years when trocek who i would say is a pretty comparable player uh, similar profile, uh, similar production. Trocheck a little more track record of the production, um, but he's also a year older. Like it's the same number with two less years. So I think that I mean he was an obvious fit the whole way. Everybody, nobody can claim that they uh, were the first on on Andrew Cop because I think the whole year, especially the second half, it was is this guy going to come to Detroit? And he brings a lot of these elements too. Like it, I think it makes a lot of sense in terms of the. Um, the way that he's going to be able to win pucks for Jacob Verana, facilitate for Jacob Verana potentially, or Lucas Raymond or whichever right wing they want to put him with. Um, and, and also be that kind of defensive conscience on that team. And, and that's in the short term. In the long term, this is a guy who's played wing as well. And if Marco Casper is quick to the NHL, like we've talked about, and in even two years from now, if Marco Casper three years from now is that number two center, Andrew Kopp could still be a second line wing and a pretty good one. So. Um, I thought that was a good contract. The Perron, you know, I, I'm sure that's where we're going next. That was the best one they signed for me by far. Um, great player, potential 30 goal scorer that you got to play on a two year deal at, you know, basically uh, similar number as, as Sherratt. So I thought that was a, a home run deal uh, and, and also a very tradable deal. If things don't go the way you want, you know, one and a half years of David Perron is going to be attractive to contenders, especially if you're going to eat half. So uh, I thought that was a good one. Kubalik's a, a shot in the dark, you know, we'll see what that is. I don't know that I would have done it, but I don't have a problem with them doing it. I, I think uh, it certainly makes it tougher for for guys like, you know, Valeno Berggren, maybe even Zadina to get the kind of roles they they want. Um, but if they're not better than Kubalik, who was just non-tendered, like I think you could contently say as a fan, then, okay, it's fine if they're in the AHL or they're on the fourth line or whatever, right? So 
Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, my projection, I think I still have Zadina and Kubalik on the same line. I think, you know, checkmates 2.0 kind of vibe. Uh, but it's entirely possible that they go like Kubalik with Sunquist and Zadina's on the fourth line. And where's Valeno? Is he in the lineup? Is he on the outside looking in? Is he in Grand Rapids? Like these are real questions that now get posed. And I, that's my biggest, like, where does this leave everything? You and I were talking the, the day that I think it was minutes after they signed Kubalik. We were like, is there a trade coming here? Because, this just got really crowded. Yeah. Well, it's, there's going to be players, good players who you would hope, not hope, but you would think that they were on the roster, like you said, who were on the outs. Yeah. There have been rumors for a long time about uh, Zadina being shopped. There have been rumors for a long time about Hronik being shopped. Um, the Tyler Bertuzzi conversation isn't going to end probably even until after he's signed unless we see a no-move clause, right? So in your mind, is there a deal in the works here? And then – Let's go completely crazy factor in the fact that uh, we haven't seen where Klingberg has signed and the Red Wings name for good reason or not has been attached to that. So is there is there some movement on the way out to kind of clear that room or is Eisman just looking for pure competition and deal with it later right now? Yeah, not, not that I know of. But what I'd say is I believe him when he says he's still out there seeing what other teams need to do. And I don't think he wants to um, – I, he said he does not want to just trade a player because he's got to trade a player. I don't think that they're so full right now that they could not go into training camp like this. In fact, I think it's a good thing if they go into training camp like this. It may not be the most comfortable thing for Jonathan Berggren, um, but we know they don't care. Like they have started Zadina, his second season started in the AHL. Rasmussen started the bubble season in the AHL. Valeno started last season in the AHL. They do not care. They will call you up when, when it's time. They are not making a spot for you. Um, but in terms of, you know, still exploring what's out there, yeah, I certainly take him at his word when he says he's still doing that. Um, and if it means subtracting one of these pieces, uh, that would not surprise me either. So the Red Wings have about $10, $10.3 million in cap space as of right now. I think you're right. I think we need to look past even those players I mentioned and even using that cap space to facilitate a trade as well. Yeah. Yep. That's another move in the works. Uh, maybe one of the last topics here, because I know you got to go. Uh, tear up the ice. Uh, <laughs> Dylan Larkin and Tyler Bertuzzi are eligible to be extended now, but we have uh, yet to see any movement on on either front. There have been talks of the Larkin conversations going positively, and we know he got new representation. So the way I figured that that's just obviously going to be not automatic, a little bit more drawn out. But there's nothing so far on the Tyler Bertuzzi one. What do you make of uh, of those two pending UFAs? Yeah, I would share your feeling that I think the Larkin one it seems like will get done, but we don't, we don't know until it is right. And, and obviously now there's a um, Larkin's no trade clause has kicked in. And I think like the fact that they got past that deadline would seem to indicate to me, like the Red Wings know that they're going to be able to get to a number that they're comfortable with there. And, you know, like I just can't, I can't picture the Red Wings in this era without Dylan Larkin. So that, I, I just have to think that gets done. Um, and I, I kind of think Bertuzzi will as well. Like, I, I don't know that that one, I, I think the key is when, and I know that's ultimately what you're asking me. I have a hard time envisioning the Red Wings going into the season where if things go badly, they're in a position where like they, they have to trade one of, you know, really be Bertuzzi because he doesn't have the no trade clause as a rental and for the fear of, of them walking and, I think that's a really bad leverage spot to potentially be in. Um, I think you really want to get these done before then. And 
Iserman has shown in the past with Stamkos, he has the stomach to, to live with that and to deal with that and just, you know, take it to the 11th hour and figure it out. I would not. And I think to me, it makes the most sense to get these done early. Take any uncertainty out of it. Do you really want two of your, you know, most tenured core players going into a season like really uncertain about the future, especially if you're trying to like, you know, really start a program here with a new coach. And and to me, you want those building blocks solid and they know, all right, we're as invested in the future here as anything else. Like that to me is very important. So I can't tell you when it's going to be. I don't know when it's going to be, but I have to think those get done at least Larkin, but I, I really kind of think both. So based on everything the Red Wings have done, the directions they moved in and let's say the the hypothetical expectation here that nothing dramatic happens with Larkin and Bertuzzi. Take a look at the landscape of the NHL and the yep. Atlantic. Yep. Way too early, way unreasonable to ask, but I'm going to do it anyways. What are your predictions for the Red Wings next season in terms of how they'll move in the standings and, and what we can see compared to previous teams? All right. I think that they're going to miss the playoffs, but I think we can go through here and we can see that they're going to finish – I would think higher than a year ago, probably outside the top 10 of the draft lottery order. I think they're clearly better than, let's just go through these. Chicago, yes. Arizona, yes. Montreal, yes. Mm -hmm. Seattle, yes. Yeah. Seattle's gotten better. They've gotten better. Burkowski and they got Bjorkstrand. I still think think the Revings are better. Philly, yes, right? Yeah, (laughs) yes. New Jersey still yes? Um, that's going to fall solely on goaltending. I'm going to say yep. no to New Jersey. You think New Jersey might be better than Detroit? Yeah, if they're healthier and they figure right. out goaltending, then yeah. And if – yep, yep. Jack Hughes stays healthy. That's fair. Uh, San Jose? Uh, I think Detroit will be better. I think so too. Buffalo? I think Detroit will be better than Buffalo. I think so too. I think Ottawa's better than Detroit. Yep, I agree there. I think Columbus – you would have in the same tier, right? Yeah, you'd imagine what how many points ahead did they finish a year ago? 7 points ahead. They added Goudreau, they locked up line A. They had they had they some get rid of Bjorkstrand. Got rid of Bjorkstrand, that's right. The same tier is fair. I think that's a coin flip. Uh Vancouver better than Detroit? I think Vancouver is going to do better than Detroit, yeah. I agree. How about Winnipeg? Same tier? I can see yeah. Winnipeg same tier and I, they're actually a dark depends horse. on health. Yeah, they're a dark horse to be a, a extremely disappointing team to me. Let's see what happens with Dubois and all that. Okay, I think that's fair. Anaheim worse than Detroit. Okay, so like already there, like we're talking about a team that's finishing probably between like eleventh and fifteenth from the bottom, eleventh and sixteenth, eleventh and fifteenth, eleventh and fourteenth probably from the yeah. bottom. So yeah, that's probably what I would predict right about there. A lot of planets have to align for the the Connor Bedard Michkov truthers to to kind of get their day because not only do the Red Wings presumably have to win a lottery with really low odds, you need a lot of teams who are hypothetically below them to have great seasons in Detroit to falter. So I agree, yeah. and, and 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 you have all these teams now who it's like you know Calgary. Okay, were they going to crash down to earth losing Kachuk and Gaudreau? Nope, they got Huberto and Uyghur. Like they. They're not going to be as good as last year, but they're not going to drop out to be worse than Detroit. Uh, the Islanders, like what what do you think happens there? Do they find a way to clear space and add somebody big? I still would probably put them ahead of Detroit, but I think you could argue for the same tier. I would put them above Detroit. 
but there's just not that many teams that I think you're you're chasing down still, even though I think there are a few that you did. Like I think, you know, I think uh so Buffalo obviously finished ahead of Detroit last year. Anaheim finished ahead of Detroit last year. I think you're jumping both of them. But Ottawa's jumping you. Who was picking Columbus, I think, is the same tier. Who was picking eleventh? I don't know. I, I think I think it's somewhere eleventh to fourteenth from the bottom. That's my my feeling. And another thing to consider here is I guess in the direction of the Red Wings being a little bit closer to the bottom than maybe we're we're expecting is that they have a brand new team pretty much with a lot of new chemistry and that takes a while to settle in. Yeah. That takes quite a bit of time. Uh, Arizona picked 11th. They took Connor Geeky. Oh, that was with the San Jose pick. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so I, we think that you jumped San Jose, right? And yeah. then, uh, yeah. So I, I think you're right in that tier with like Winnipeg and Columbus. Maybe, maybe it's 10th to 14th. It's it's crazy how one off season changes things. Yep, and Ottawa I think might be a playoff team. Like could be Ottawa. Ottawa might be better than Boston next year. Because Boston is crazy to say. I, Boston has so much injury to deal with. Exactly. That's yeah. why. That's it's nothing nothing beyond that. But you know they're gonna have a ton of guys. Like we saw that with the Islanders, they start slow this year. It's probably just because of the arena thing, but they never crawled out of it, and and they didn't get back in, and they were still okay. Like they you yeah, know, they're better than Detroit, but. It can crater you and cause you to miss the playoffs. 100%. All right. Uh, I promise, or I, I said I don't think it'll go that long, Max, but here's 40 minutes, and I think we can go 40 more easily, but we'll <laughs> let you go. You have uh, you have a nice time to get to. Folks, Max Boltman uh, from The Athletic Detroit, from The Athletic Hockey Show with um, the seer, Corey Pronman. Uh, <laughs> subscribe to The Athletic uh, for Max's work alone. I promise you it's worth the price of admission, but also uh, a lot of really, really great work being done there. He mentioned Hero Narco with Shana Goldman, who's always uh, an automatic read for me as well. So, Max, thank you for joining the show. And uh, looks like we have some fun off-season conversations coming up. I'm looking forward to it, man. Thanks very much. Before we get to the rest of our conversation here, I do want to tell you that this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast is proudly brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook. They're a sponsor that gives hockey fans what we really need, even more excitement, like today. <laughs> there are so many reasons why FanDuel is America's number one sportsbook. They're simple to use with great odds on different betting markets, giving you more action every game day. Plus, there are tons of fun with unique bet types like same game parlay and exclusive promos on the biggest events. And when you win, you get your winnings safely in as little as 24 hours. Now listen to this. FanDuel is letting you place your first bet risk-free up to $1,000. Just place a bet on any game and FanDuel will refund you up to $1,000 back in site credit if you don't win that first bet. If you win, you keep the cash. If you lose, you'll get up to $1,000 back in site credit. Now what we want you to do is download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started with that risk-free bet of up to $1,000 and be sure to sign up with promo code WWP so they know the Winged Wheel podcast sent you. That's FanDuel Sportsbook, promo code WWP. You must be 21 and older and present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, West Virginia, Indiana, Colorado, Iowa, Tennessee, Virginia, or Michigan. First online real money wager only. Site credit is non-withdrawable and expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See sportsbook.fanduel.com for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, or Virginia, Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-9789, 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia, or call 1-800-270-7117 in Michigan. And welcome back. That was our uh, interview with Max Boltman. Good to have him back on the show. And like we mentioned on uh, in the interview, we could have gone for another 40 minutes with how much has happened. So uh, we have some fun ideas for future offseason videos about 
drafting and whether European versus North American uh, scouting and drafting uh, is imbalanced as it's been in the past. Some prospect stuff. So a lot of good stuff's going to come from that. Uh, some other Red Wings news, minor Red Wings news. They uh, Another signing, uh, Chase Pearson, minor signing, uh, was signed to a one-year two-way contract. The NHL salary is a shade over 900000 And then obviously, because it's a two-way contract, his uh, salary in the minors goes down. So uh, just uh, small work, no big impact. No Klingberg signing, no other Eisman massive shakeup. So there's a little bit of... Uh, kind of motion sickness for you were either going a thousand miles an hour or absolutely full off season mode right now if you're a red wings fan it's like driving through toronto <laughs> it, you ha- you can tell that came from a personal per- personal place for you i've had to go to that awful city too many times this year the biggest curse that is laid upon anyone who lives in or around ontario is that if you want to go north of toronto you have to go through it which is just we're being punished for something it heavily it's the the universe someone in that very specific part of the universe did something awful and the side effects are now starting to spread like an infection <laughs> all right uh why don't we jump into the major nhl news that happened that kind of shook the hockey world it was um just over 24 hours i think after we had our episode about kachuk and we knew that was that was the risk we were running by by talking about it but the news was so impactful that I didn't quite care that it outdated in half of an episode almost instantly. Um, Friday evening, maybe had a few whiskeys. Cannot confirm or deny. Uh, Matthew Kachuk was traded to the Florida Panthers, which... Of course. Right, as everyone predicted. Mm-hmm. That was insane enough on its own. No one really kind of had them near the top of that list. I don't think very many people were talking about them. Uh, it turns out that New Jersey went pretty deep on in the conversations as well, so they missed out on on Kachuk. So as, as did Carolina and St. Louis. Yes, correct. So that was already insane, which had the group chat going, "Holy shit, what's happening?" And then the return, Jonathan Huberto. I There's say, still more. <laughs> Jonathan Huberto, who scored 115 points last season, Mackenzie Weger who is one of the most sought-after defenders in the league. Uh, I think before last season, maybe one of the most underrated defenders in the league. A first-round pick in 2025, it's lottery-protected, but a 2025 first-round pick, and Cole Schwint, who uh, is a pretty good prospect. It's just that he's being overshadowed overshadowed by the other major pieces. The only thing that is uh, going along with Kachuk is it's a 2025 fourth round pick from Calgary that's conditional. It's all about the, the pick that went back and the lottery protection. It's this big, ugly mess because Florida's picks are everywhere and conditional everywhere. So we won't get into all that. But essentially, Kachuk for, a, for Huberto, Uyghur, Schwint, uh, in a first-round pick. Kachuk was actually, in the first ever sign-and-trade in NHL history, extended technically by Calgary eight years times $9.5 million per year, uh, and then traded. Um, In addition to that, his salary is only $1 million per year. The rest is signing bonuses, (laughs) which has massive tax advantages and also is... um, lockout proof because signing bonuses get paid out no matter what yeah so if uh the last few years don't age very well florida ain't buying them out that was a lot let's 
let's break this down. First of all, what? <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, that return, Huberto, Uyghur, Schwint, and a first. I've had to process that, and I've actually moved around on it, but I'm curious to hear your reactions. My initial reaction was, holy hell, that's highway robbery from Calgary, so I'm definitely missing a lot of nuance here, and I you know, slept on it for the night, and I woke up, and my ultimate um, take is, holy hell, that's highway robbery for Calgary, but... <laughs> I understand what Florida's doing here because, you know, Matthew Kachuk is something they didn't quite have in terms of type of player. But even beyond that, Jonathan Huberto is one year away from unrestricted free agency. Mackenzie Wiegar is one year away from unrestricted free agency. That first round pick is so far down the line that Florida doesn't even care anymore. They're all in on the next few seasons anyway. And Schwinn, obviously being a good prospect, probably was just like the straw that broke the camel's back to get the trade done. But so I'll, I'll go from Florida standpoint and be as optimistic about what they did as possible before I really dive into how this is a tidy piece of work for Calgary. So Huberdeau, you know, it's hard to say what went on, but from his camp is saying there was never a contract extension offer formally from Florida, which he was expecting. Right. Um, he said there was preliminary talks, like, you know, just to kind of see where everybody was at. So I guess I'm assuming whatever his camp said, Florida didn't like what they heard. Yeah. His camp was probably like, we want to open in the conversation of 10.5, but let's see your first offer. And Florida was like, no. we only pay our goalies that <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh, cool. Okay. You're going to Calgary. But, yeah. um, and then obviously we I don't know what the extension talks were there, if any. So. Florida saw that they already had lost, like traded away their next three first round picks. Their window is now they can't afford to lose Huberdeau and Wegar at the end of this year. They just can't. They need to replace them. They need to stay competitive. So even though at this very moment in time, I would consider Huberdeau a better player than Kachuk, they now have eight years of certainty with Matthew Kachuk at a fairly reasonable cap hit, maybe a slight overpay for a winger but totally reasonable um so they have kind of got ahead of the game we're not even gonna let this get to the point of oh god what the hell are we gonna do so that was smart to get ahead of it obviously you know the four the first round pick way down the line they're way beyond thinking about first round picks at this point in for a penny and for a pound yeah well losing Wegar as well probably stung a lot but you know if you're gonna lose another key player I guess it's okay that it was a guy who was also on the verge of being an unrestricted free agent. So sure. I, I understand what Florida was thinking there. That all being said, you look at this from Calgary's standpoint, there's no horrible outcomes here for them because. Which is impressive considering the yeah, bind that they were in. Yeah. They had, they were basically negotiating with three to four teams in this trade. They did not have a lot of leverage. They were able to, from the looks of it, you know, pit these teams up against each other to, to get this offer. But, you know, obviously people are saying, well, Huberto's five years older than Kachuk, which is fair. And again, that's kind of what I'm getting at with Florida, getting ahead of it. Um, you know, they might not be able to extend him. They might lose him for nothing at the end of the year. And, you know, these are the three realities I've come to that Calgary now has in front of them. One, they're good. You know, they replaced Kachuk and, Goudreau with Huberto and Wegar. Now, I don't think that's a one-to-one -one equivalency, but... He lost one for free. Yeah, 
and then you got two very good players back for the other ones. So would I trade Kachuk and Goudreau straight up for Huberdeau and Weegar? No, but it's not a dramatic drop off. So Calgary should be able to remain competitive. And it's also that he never had the trade the the option to do that. Yeah, exactly. So Calgary with these moves should still be a very competitive team in a very weak Western Conference this season. So they could go on a run in the playoffs. They could be a good team all regular season, and then they go on a bit of a run, and then they lose Huberto and Wegar in the playoffs for after the playoffs for nothing. That might come with the Stanley Cup. That might not. But for any team to be able to have, you know, quote unquote rentals to go deep in the playoffs is generally a win. Like even if you accept that you're going to lose some guys. That's that's worst case scenario. For that, that's their worst case scenario is, yeah, they go like second, third round of the playoffs or even first round, I guess, hypothetical, um, and then get bounced. That's worst case scenario. Next option. Hey, maybe last year was a fluke and the Calgary Flames are bad this year. And Huberdo and Wegar are like, yeah, we don't want to stick around for this. Well. I don't know exactly what Jonathan Huberdeau and Mackenzie Wegar would get at the trade deadline, but I know it would be a hell of a lot. Maybe they can get traded to Florida. Yeah. They don't have any first round picks. <laughs> yeah. Because both of those guys would command a first round pick plus. They should. Like, unless there's a bad mismanagement, those guys, even at a rental, even for deadline deals, you should get first for them. Oh, well, look at what Claude Giroux got last year from Florida. And look at what Ben Chirot got last year from Florida. Uh, Wegar's better than Sherratt and Huberto's better than Giroux at this point. The fact that Wegar's in Canada, I'm not convinced that the Toronto Maple Leafs aren't going to try to literally kidnap him yeah. and force him to play for hit for that team. So if if the season just goes completely sideways for Calgary, they are still going to get an absolute haul for those guys. So now all of a sudden your trade, you lost Matthew Kachuk for a first round pick, two more first round picks a good prospect and probably a couple more good prospects. Like they could be walking away with this with like just a huge, huge return, even if they don't get to keep Wegar and Huberto. And of course now the third scenario being, well, they're able to sign one or both of them to an extension. And all of a sudden now that bridge, that gap is bridged for me is I had the same thing where I initially was like, that's a steal. Like that is the absolute highway robbery. And then where I landed was, yeah, no, Florida overpaid. But I can see how Zito got to where he did. And this is either going to be something that's going to burn him in the future or is going to be one of those, this was a tough decision to make, but he had big brass ones to make it in the moment. And, you know, he took the heat and did what he had to do. And there's no guarantee as to how it's going to turn out. But hey, if you were going to trade Huberto, who's going to be 30 when his contract is up. Wegar, who's going to be 29 when his contract is up. Huberto, I mean, I think he would have stayed in Florida, but they're in a tight cap situation and they're dealing with that Bobrovsky contract, which is going to be impossible to move now that they have no more first round picks forever. Um, it was looking at a cap reality. Was it a good situation for Florida? No, but it, it was Bill Zito looking ahead and saying, I can see the storm on the horizon and I can either get burned by it or I can turn it into Matthew Kachuk. And what they did was they took a 24-year-old elite winger and locked him up at a great price in my mind, or at least a fair price in my mind for as long as they humanly could, instead of giving the same money to Jonathan Huberto, who's going to be 30 and who would probably want eight years, or Mackenzie Wegar, who's going to be 29, which is I, I'm... The Wegar one I, was much more stomachable for me in terms of giving him a contract. I know it's just a year difference in age, but the 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 premium position and what he can garner for them, I get it. 
I still think they overpaid. I understand seeing a first round pick in there automatically makes you think, oh, next year, top 10 pick. In reality, it's 2025. You never know where they're going to be and it's lottery protected. So that's fine. I just think between the first and Weegard, they could have done without including one of them. So is maybe not, maybe not right. Like if you have St. Louis, Carolina and the devils also in there, then that's really masterful work in terms of manufacturing a trade by Brad Living Cause he's obviously playing them all off each other. And Florida said, you know, F it. We want to make sure we have Brady Kachuk. So we don't, this team doesn't collapse when we lose these two guys. So do I think they overpaid? Yeah. Might this turn into one of those things where Bill Zito looks and says, yeah, I know I overpaid, but look at the situation we're in now. There's a chance, but no matter what, Brad Treliving was dealt a garbage hand, absolute brutal hand. And that's coming after being essentially kicked in the guts by, by Johnny Goudreau leaving how he did. And he turned it into Huberto, Wegar in a first and Huberto and Wegar honestly should turn into multiple other assets. So kudos to Brad Treliving for doing the most of what he can. Uh, the, the final byline here for me, about the whole thing is this trade will be defined by what Treliving does with them in the next 12 months. And the cap space they still have. I don't know who they have to sign right now, but I think they've got like 9 million plus in cap space. Yeah. So they could add Phil Kessel. <laughs> and Nazem Kadri. They could add Nazem Kadri, for example. They have and any- they've gone, I think they've gone hard after him before he signed in Colorado as well. Yep. And they so have Calgary could, you know, all of a sudden they lose johnny goudreau and they're in the dumps and all of a sudden they could be looking at this turning the season around and saying wow we're still a competitor uh, a contender and probably one of the best teams in the west they have uh manjupane to to sign he's a restricted free agent with arborites but uh, yeah, there's most of that cap space gone the but it's important that they have that flexibility i don't necessarily think they should go all out this year but if they do and then decide to sell on those guys at the deadline like that's a team that needs a new arena that city just got kicked in the pants by Goudreau leaving justified or not fair or not whatever that hurts and it's important it's really easy for franchises to just get beat down and downtrodden and in this vicious cycle a la Buffalo Sabres so Brad Living has done what I think a lot of other GMs would really really admire here First sign and trade in NHL history, though. That was kind of surprising to hear. Really? Yeah. First one ever. So I hope I that's, hope that does that's hard to even fathom. I hope to see more of it. It almost happened with Zach Hyman, but then Edmonton was like, we're just gonna get him in free agency. We're yeah. not giving you anything. <laughs> that's fine. I I honestly, that was the kind of insane deal where I'm like there is going to be a winner and there is going to be a loser. So I'm not advocating for teams to just go balls to the wall here, but I loved it. I loved every second of it. Maximum NBA level chaos. More of it, please. Curious to hear what everyone thinks as to, to who won. I I think most people think Calgary made out well, but uh, I want to know how people think Florida made out because they're, they're in a precarious spot. I, they're, they're going to need to make cap room now though, Florida, they're going to have to find a way to get rid of Hornfist or they're going to have to go through a very painful move and kind of like Columbus, how they gave up Bjorkstrand for a pittance, which is going to be interesting. Cause if you look at Florida's roster, like they overturned it more than you would think. And they don't have a lot left to work with in terms of, you know, if they want to be contenders again, they can't afford to part with another good player. And um, 
yeah, you're not moving a contract like Hornquist without adding a sweetener. And I don't think a second round pick necessarily gets it done right now. So they've, they've got some work ahead of them. The uh, one of the first thoughts I went through my mind when the trade happened was, oh yeah, oh yeah, a lot of the uh, <laughs> the Bertuzzi Hironic in the first or second whatever, or like adding Zadina or Rasmussen as like a added value in those deals, not was never going to come close. Yeah, yeah. Thank. You. Imagine like we spent half an episode basically saying, yeah, no, that's nowhere near enough. And then if they traded him for like something along that lines, be like, okay, well, we're done here. We're going home. We <laughs> yeah. don't know what we're doing. <laughs> And you know what you've seen? You've seen GMs sell good players for less. Oh yeah, but oh yeah, not this time. Uh, very quickly, Pierre Luc Dubois signed his qualifying offer one year. That guy is just on a slow but directed train to Montreal. Yeah, he's uh, making it less subtle now than he used to. Uh, I think I, I would hope at this point all Red Wings fans are off the get Dubois to Detroit train because it's very clearly not going to happen. And even if it did, it wouldn't last very long. All right. Any other news? Uh, anything else we want to talk about before we jump into overtime here? All right. I can talk about that Jays game some more. Nope. That's okay. <laughs> we are going to jump into overtime uh, in this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, which is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Patreon.com slash Winged Wheel Podcast. If you want to join the Dub Dub Club and uh, become officially one of Evan's best friends in the whole wide world. He That's writes, true. He writes all your names down in his diary and uh, reads them every night before bed. And it's the only time he smiles any day. I'm like Wolverine on the bed. Yeah. Just, <laughs> just looking like- over all the names. <laughs> no seriously thank you all uh for your support you're the reason this show continues in the off season so uh patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast if you want to join in the fun we're going to start with a comment from brian vasha who says good morning after the shock of the calgary florida trade i've already seen chatter of teams talking about trading for huberto is this the craziest off season you guys have ever seen love from phoenix keep up the awesome show oh man it's up there i'm struggling to think of one that uh as a Red Wings fan, I think the only other offseason that even comes close was maybe 01, just because like Detroit was so central in that one. Even then, it's just like no cap, rich teams spend it, a lot of money. Yeah, it's like everybody figured Detroit was going to spend, but then you get Robitaille and Hall and Hashik, and it's like, oh, holy hell. But uh, no, in terms of league-wide, yeah, this has got to be the one. In the cap era, this has to be it. Yeah, there's been a couple crazy ones, like um, when Suter and Parisi went to Minnesota, that that one got pretty chaotic. Yeah. Everybody remembers Brad Richards' watch, which was like never should have been that, but it was insane at the time with like, there was reporters staking out outside of his agent's office. (laughs) That's so funny. Because people, you know, GMs go to the agent's office, they don't pick up the telephone. Yeah, but... No, in in terms of unpredictability and just sheer entertainment value, this is up there because again, no Klingberg, Kadri, or Kessel yet either. And a more, I think two or three teams that are over the cap that do not yet even have full rosters, so they have to make moves to clear roster space. So, yeah, this is uh this is what we've been hoping for as neutral observers. Who will be the next Arizona Coyotes Hall of Fame player? <laughs> It might be Logan Cooley at this rate. Might be. Jack the Basis says, with the rest of the Atlantic getting juiced and Eisman apparently wanting the Wings to step forward this year, does this season become more of a new coach, no worries year or a one final time to flee some desperate teams and pick in the teens year? A little bit of both, more of the latter. It's not that there's no worries. Like 
I don't, we talked about this with Max. Um, the Atlantic is, is strong and barring, you know, Ottawa completely faltering, Boston sucking, um, and then someone else being Maybe at Florida. They like, lost a lot of players beyond Huberdo and Wegar. Detroit doesn't have no path forward to the playoffs, but in general, the pack around them who are competing for the same pool of points also got better or were already good. So shooting for the playoffs, I don't think is a great measure of success, but no more beatdowns. No this more. is the anti beatdown year. We don't need any more close-ups of Eisenman grinding his teeth down to a pulp. Like just don't get shelled. Don't destroy your goalie's confidence. Show some compete and stay in more games. Like, I think if they pick anywhere from 15, like 12, 11 to 15, it's probably a sign that they had this season that they should based on their roster in my mind. Uh, okay. Steve Figgins, who's a brand new patron, Steve. Steven, welcome to the uh, Dub Dub Club. Says, hey guys, new patron here and really loving the content. My question is, do you see the Florida-Calgary trade being a one-off or rare occurrence? Or do you think this will spark trades of the same type more often now? More often, yeah, but that's not to say they'll be often, if that makes sense. That's the unfortunate truth. It's yeah. like, it's going to open the door and open some GM's minds to think this way. If yeah. either of those two teams has a horrendous season, oh. I think we see less. But if both teams have a very good season, I think we see more, but obviously not all the time. But we GMs would be more willing to do those blockbuster trades. Yeah. And the one thing I don't think we talk about enough in this scenario, coupled with the Dubois news, is it's getting vi- very NBA-like in the sense of players are calling their shots now a little more, being a little more aggressive in the... Yeah, I'm not signing an extension with you. Trade me, essentially, and here's where I want to go. So, oh man, maybe we shouldn't give te- players no move clauses. Uh, I mean, those you've seen Ken Holland's in shambles. <laughs> <laughs> Ken Holland slamming his fist on the desk. He's like, "Why would they keep my name out of their mouths?" Yep. Sorry, Ken. We're a little obsessive like that. Uh, okay. Jonathan Melwish says, hey, guys, which team has the potential to be the surprise tire fire team this season a la Las Vegas last season? Okay, we can't say Philly because that's too obvious. That was one of them that came to my head. Yeah, I think everybody's expecting a tire fire there. I think people are. Okay, what's the definition of a tire fire? Supposed to be good, but just not good or just a team that you're like, they're bad and they're being even badder first of all can you tone down the vocabulary so yeah, i can <laughs> not <laughs> trying to speak down to you <laughs> good recovery <Smooth> brainers. <laughs> me and brad really needed the help thank yes, you you're welcome um i would say any team that's way worse than they should have been so if detroit is the 32nd best team in the league that's next year that's fire. a tire fire even though they're not really supposed to be a playoff team honestly even though i know they were shambolic last year I have a hard time seeing a way out for Winnipeg, or I can see them being really, really terrible next year. I've got two candidates. Uh, I'll go with one from each conference just to, you know, be an equal opportunity hater. Um, I could see this not going well, this season not going well for Minnesota. Um, you know, flurries get a lot of key players, including their goaltender, are getting older. They lost Kevin Fiala and have not been able to replace him. Is Kaprizov back stateside yet? Not that I know of. Um, they should probably figure that out. Soon. But yeah, um, I think they're a candidate for it. Not obviously; these are all long shots. Not that they will. 
I think New Jersey could surprise and how bad they could be this year because I still have zero faith in their goaltending. And who knows what Andre Pilat will be outside of um, Tampa Bay. And Jesper Bratt still isn't signed. They're they're on a knife's edge. Like if they if their goaltending turns out to be decent, just decent, they are a substantial substantially better team. They're than last pushing year. for a playoff spot. Yeah, they should be pushing. They should have pushed for a playoff spot last year, but literally they got derailed by their goaltending. So. I think now that they have Vanacek and Palat, they and and John Marino, they have big aspirations this year. I think for New Jersey, it's playoffs or bust. And I again, if Vanacek isn't the answer, they might be right where they were last year. I still love how ballsy they were passing on the centerman to take Nemitz. Oh, if I was a New Jersey fan, I'd hate it. As a again, a neutral observer who roots for entertainment value. Yes, I agree fully. Uh, I'll say St. Louis out oh, of the West. Interesting. I I mean, I totally don't really believe it, but I'm just trying to think of another team. They're hedging all their bets now on Bennington when Huso, thank you, was <laughs> their starting goalie for the majority of the year. And if it wasn't for the playoffs, I don't know if that make that trade happens. Because Bennington so, looked horribly average for a long time. Yeah. So they're hedging all of their bets that they get the Bennington of the playoffs, which I don't know if that's something I'd be willing to bet on. And then out of the East, I'll say Toronto. Oh, going for blood. They, I'll go right back to goaltending. They have hedged their bets on two goalies who give me no confidence at all. Two goalies who, at their worst, were probably the worst goalie in the league. Yes. If Matt Murray finds any semblance of health, then I'm that my bet is doesn't look great at all. But if it, it was Elias Samsonov was the other goalie, right? Yeah. yeah. So if either of those guys don't find any part of their game, Toronto's in a world of hurt because their division points are not given up for free anymore. No. The only thing that might save Toronto is as they've proven in a game where they can give up seven goals, they can still win by three. That's right. <laughs> Toronto watching Detroit get Vili Husso by just spending a third round pick and uh, Mackenzie Wegar being just thrown into a trade that Huberto was already going back in. And they're like, oh, come on. It's very hard to define a tire fire in Toronto because they lose in the first round of the playoffs like clockwork. Yeah. So even if they do that, that might not even be a tire fire. <laughs> Uh, Evans Bankrupt Parking Garage says, hey, guys, I've always had the question of what real advantage does home ice give besides the whole crowd thing? I've heard you guys talk about choosing matchups, but I have never understood what that meant, especially while the game is actually happening. It's a really good question for people who might not know the technical rule here. Yeah. So um, where this comes into play is the home team gets last change. And what that means is at a whistle where there's a face off. You might see the referee standing between the benches, facing the benches with his arm in his air, arm in the air. And basically what he's doing is signaling, hey, road team, throw your guys on the ice now. And if you're not changing, that's fine. All right. They're not or they are. And then home team, you get to respond. So if there's a game in Detroit and they're playing the Leafs hypothetically and they want to match up Larkin against Matthews and the ref puts his hand at the air, you know, signals to the Leafs bench, they throw Matthews over the boards, then he turns to Detroit's bench and Lalonde can then throw Larkin over the boards where if that game was in Toronto and the Leafs wanted to keep Matthews away from Larkin, they could at least on a face-off. Otherwise 
you know, the away team really has to panic trying to make trade, uh, make changes mid play to get the matchups they want, which some teams are able to do successfully depending on where the puck is and how the play is turning out. But it adds another level of complexity when you're trying to, you know, beat the team to begin with. And it's uh, when people talk about coaches getting out coached, um, a lot of that has to do with matchups and line combinations. And the real test is if you have your best players getting shut down on the road uh, because you can't, you know, get your ideal matchups out there. How do you manage that? Or how do you manage your matchups while you have that advantage to shut down the other team's best players? And there's a myriad of situations there. And it's not so simple as, oh, they shut us down. Now we can't do anything. It's no, you, you, you jumble up your lines or you switch rapidly or you force the, the coach's hand, etc. There is some, it's almost like chess. It's almost like chess. There's a lot of uh, gamesmanship in there too. So um, it's really interesting. And that has a lot to do with advantage. But again, hockey is a mental sport. The crowd makes such a massive difference. For me, it's just being able to sleep in your own bed. That's it's that, but that's a, like a physiological advantage. Yeah. You don't have to eat, you eat your food from your own house. You don't have to sleep in a hotel where there's random noises keeping you up at night and eating taking a risk on whatever food you're having for dinner it's yeah it's nice no travel as well yeah. no planes no bus rides no getting into the hotel at two in the morning none of that crap you know i've always uh i've always loved hotels and uh i think i had my first ever truly uncomfortable hotel bed uh on my trip to chicago that we just took it was it's like beautiful king size bed and the duvet was super comfortable but it like the actual mattress itself was devastating. Like I slept terribly. Can I, I want to ask you, this is only somewhat related, but I, I need to ask. Um, one time we were uh, at an Airbnb with like a, a group of friends and we were invited last minute. And the only bedroom left was two single beds, like detached from one another. Mm-hmm. And so I slept in one, Catherine slept in the other. And the next morning we both woke up and we're like, that's the best sleep I've had in years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So when Catherine and I see the situation where it's like one bed or the other, or and like we're separated, we're like, yep, we're down. <laughs> we'll take those beds. <laughs> you know what? Like I've always advocated for as big of as big as possible bed and TV. Yeah. As big as you can fit into your your house. Um, and Mel for a long time, never really understood why I said that. And now that we've lived together for a few years, she, now she's a big proponent for oh, going yeah. to the king. Yeah. Yeah. Catherine and I, any chance we get, we'll sleep in separate beds. <laughs> that's, that's true love. <laughs> yeah. No, but that's, I, I know a lot of people actually who do that. Um, that's all the questions very quickly before I wrap up here, uh, talking about that trip to Chicago, uh, our good friend, uh, of the podcast, Mike Villarosa is the culinary director at Swift and Sons in Chicago. It is the best steak you will get in town he changed my life by way of steak uh we very nearly had to be rolled home um but mike is one of the original listeners of this podcast for a long long like early episodes and uh (laughs) he has some kind of username but uh again mike thank you so much if you're in chicago go visit uh mike at swift and sons the food is incredible and you will need you will have meat sweats that night maybe that's why i didn't sleep well it was it was the meat sweats that's right uh folks that's all next episode is going to have a really 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 cool interview uh we're hoping the scheduling works out this time uh for midweek so stay tuned for that we're really excited to bring it to you yeah Uh, it must be nice 
Because you're going on, uh, you're out, going on out, out east in yep. Halifax. Yep, little vacation, well, Nova Scotia. That's tough. That's really tough for Evan. Eh? Yeah, that's hard. It's yeah, just gotta, a damn shame. I got to so, play the thirtieth ranked course in the world. Ugh, it's gonna be terrible. You're gonna. I I want you to know, and I say this as your friend with love. You are gonna golf some of the worst golf of your life. I very much prepared for that. <laughs> so uh no evan but we'll have a special guest on next episode so stay tuned for that we'd like to thank all of you for listening all of you who have been leaving us reviews on apple podcasts google podcasts um spotify wherever it makes a big difference and and we really really appreciate it um all of our patrons new and old the sponsors of this podcast the FanDuel Sportsbook, sports uh and the name level sponsors on patreon who are the the true heartbeat behind the show arjun shanker Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Akefer, the Stay Fresh Cheese Bag, Nick Perks, Brett Bailey, Terry Driver of the Number 69, Crying Ryan Hannah's Banana Slam Jamathong, BJ Johnston, Matthew M. Rice, Ben Hurd, Brandon M., Carl Brutana Nanaluski, Chimmy, Citizen High Five, Connor Scobie, Coyote Season Tickets in Tempe, Craig Kibble, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Evans Farmer Tan, Give Blood Fight Probert, Greach, Hassam al I tried so hard and got so far, but in the end, it didn't even only Mata. <laughs> oh, I'd leave my wife for cider. Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Kaylin Wood, King Tone, Kyle Hashman, Marcus, um, Matt McKay, my impressive package, LMAO, Nicholas Fritz, R.A., Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Zachary Rogers, Sam Bankson, Stay Fresh Cheese Bags, Adam, now I finish better than Ernie, Antonio Gracias, Babe Landeskog is a Stanley Cup champion, Ben Barron, Brian Vasha, Connor Leighton, Darren Ficarelli, Dave W., uh, Dungeon Master of Puppets, Evans Bankrupt Parking Garage, Evans Bingo Card, Griffey Boy, Jack the Bassist, James Laporte, Jeremiah Dobo, Jeremy Brocker, J.M. Rhapsody, John Evans, Josh Yelton, Justin in the Angry Mob, Carco Masper, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Logan Burgos, Matt Keeler, Matt S., Maximilian Cheesebags, Melissa Erickson, Papa Woody, Puck Norris, Revy DeLuca, Rufus, Thick Rick, Trevor Pevavar, and Zach McCann, a driving range superstar. We'll see all you midweek. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.